Good morning. All right, that's not bad. I'm feeling very, especially like Labor Day weekend. This is the least attended day of church of the year. Welcome that, and that you're here. Praise God for that. This is better than the lake, right? That was a confident yes, not just like, yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm so thankful that you're here today. If you don't know me, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater, typically the teaching pastor. So thankful that you're, you're here today. Um, as Corey said, it's kind of a big day, right? right? Seven years. I cannot believe it's been seven years. Really, for us that have been involved from the very beginning, it's really been eight years because it's almost eight years to the day that we had the first core group meeting in Matt Reynolds and Rachel Reynolds' basement, right? Almost eight years to the day, and then seven years. Tomorrow is actually our seven-year anniversary. Tomorrow is when that happens. I just can't believe how long it's been. I can't believe God's faithfulness through all that time. I can't believe that he took a group of people like us who honestly, this, we say this, but this is not just that didn't really know what we were doing, right? really didn't know how to plant a church. We knew some and we had some help along the way, but we just knew that we wanted to be faithful to God. We wanted to be faithful to the word and we're just going to do this thing. And so here we are today. And so today, we're gonna, that's what we're going to be really talking about. We're going to be talking about who we are as a church, where we've been. Um, we're really going to just focus in on that. It's been seven years. Next week, I just want to really encourage you to get back here because next week we're starting Exodus. And I cannot wait for this series. And the beginning of the series is going to be really important because we're going to be laying the foundation, the groundwork for the entire series. I don't remember how many weeks, but I think we're going to finish it next March. So it's not going to be, if you were with us, it's not going to be Romans. It's not going to be a year and a half or two. Um, but we're going to spend some time, and, and Exodus is just... Maybe, maybe the most epic story that's ever been written, like really all of the epic stories that have ever been written find their home, find their root in the story of Moses and the Exodus and God's people. I mean, over and over again, the, the same themes of good and evil and good and bad and overcoming and God coming, like all of those themes you find in almost every major epic story since then. I may lose my voice today because, you know, I've had a cough, so keep your distance, um, but I've had a minor cough, so we're going to do our best to get through it today. Let me get a drink. Goodness, this better not happen. So that being said, here's what I want you to do, especially if, if you're not, if, especially if you're not new today. If you're new today, we're so thankful that you're here, but obviously this is not going to pertain to you. If, um, since we're starting a new series, here's what I want you to do. Reach out to people you haven't seen in a while. Reach out. We're going to talk about this a little bit today, but what, what has happened through COVID is all of us have gotten a little too used to the isolation a little too used to the distance, a little too used to watching online. And for you people watching online out there, I'm so thankful that you're there. But we're going to talk about today why it's so important that we gather together. And let, can we just be honest? We talked about this week in Life Group. Gathering together right now doesn't feel the same, does it? With you sitting over there and you sitting way back there and people sitting up here and distance and masks and we can't see, we can't see faces, and we can't see smiles. It just feels different. But I'm telling you, we still desperately need the community. And watching online and catching up at some point during the week, praise God we have that if you can't be here or if you're too sick to be here. Praise God we have that, but it's not the same as the gathering of the saints. We have got to be together, and we're going to talk about why today. So, hey, listen, whether you're out there or whether you're in here, reach out to people you haven't seen in a while. Reach out to people in your life group. Reach out to people that, that you know and love that you haven't done in a while. And let's really focus in on getting the, the church as we run out of summer into the time of September and October when we, when we really gather together, when people really come back after the summer. And let's be a family once again. Does that sound good? Can you do that this week? Now let's, let's start Exodus to, together. I knew that weren't going to be very many people here, even when we are rocking it, right? And COVID's not in the way. I mean, there's, there's been weeks when we've been averaging 150, and on Labor Day, we'll have 90 people here, 80 people, like half as many. That's normal, but not next week. Let's get them, start getting them back next week. Sound good? All right, keep that commitment to me. And then, um, so yeah, we were going to start Exodus this week, because um, we just kind of had a break between our family series and this series, but um, man, we got to stop to celebrate anniversaries. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at stopping and celebrating, and so I just want to make sure that this year that, that we did that. And so... As I was praying and I was thinking through, man, what, what should I preach on our seven-year anniversary? What, what should I do? What, what I actually found myself doing this week is going back and looking at the very first sermons, the very, ver the very first preaching that I ever did, like when we launched the church. And I cannot tell you how encouraging that was. It was so amazing, not because my sermons were great. Like, you, you, you look back on what you did in the past, and you're like, oh, did I say that? Uh, but just looking back on what God was calling us to from the very start and like who we were from the very start and, and who we wanted to be and what we were asking God to do, just going back and looking at all those things and just looking back at how faithful God has been to us through time. It's amazing. 
what God has done. It's amazing at how faithful God has been to us and the vision that he gave us. Right, because like, again, when we started this thing, we didn't feel like we knew what we were doing. We just felt like God was very specific on who we were supposed to be and what we were supposed to do. And it's just incredible to think back through those things. So if you're new to Freshwater, let me just give you the really short version of how we all ended up here today, okay? Just the really short version. We started, um, our church was started by a church in Bolivar of all places, right? And so what was going on, there was a Freshwater in Bolivar, right? We're Freshwater Springfield, but there was a Freshwater in Bolivar. And what was happening is we had people from Northwest Springfield attending church in Bolivar, driving from Springfield to go to church in Bolivar. And so you've probably heard me say this before, that doesn't happen, right? It's not like pe people don't drive very often from Springfield to go to church in Marshfield or Bolivar or places like that, right? It just doesn't work that way. But we had people driving from Springfield to go to church in Bolivar. And so we, even the church in Bolivar, we had a passion for people to be involved in the community that they were in, Right? Right? And so driving 30 minutes to go to church is not really being in your community, not really. And so we're like, hey, let's start a life group in Northwest Springfield. Well, by the time we, we had about a dozen people driving in from Springfield, by the time we, we got around to starting that life group, we had about 25 or 30 people that wanted to be involved with it. It was crazy. And we didn't even try. We weren't like going out recruiting. We just had people interested. And so we started praying like, God, do you want us to plant a church? Because listen, that's a core group. That's what churches launch with, 25, 30 people. And as we prayed, it just, God made it clear that this is the path we were supposed to go down. Like if you've, again, if you've heard my story, I didn't want to be a church planter. I didn't really, back in the day, I didn't want to be a pastor, but I just knew, our core group just knew, our elders at the church in Bolivar just knew this is what we were supposed to do. And so we started really looking into the northwest side of Springfield, and what we found out very quickly is that this side of town in particular was in desperate need of some love. This side of town desperately needed to know how much Jesus loved them. And so when we started looking, in particular, Tom Watkins' neighborhood, which if you're new to our church, we're almost in Tom Watkins' neighborhood. Tom Watkins' neighborhood is like Kansas and Kearney all the way to West Bypass, right? All the way down, like 2,200 homes. And that was virtually, we could not find a church that was actively involved in the community whatsoever, right? There was a couple churches from outside kind of doing a few things coming in, but there just wasn't that much going on. And so we knew this is the place that God had called us to. We knew that we needed to go there and love the people there, that the people in Tom Watkins' neighborhood needed to know how much Jesus loved them, because there just wasn't any kingdom activity going on there that we could find, that we could see. And so we started a church, not just to try to meet the spiritual needs of this side of the city. Like, we want to reach anybody, all your families, all your friends, anywhere in the city that we go, right? But our focus was this area, and we just wanted not only to focus on the spiritual needs, but the emotional and physical needs of people too. Because Jesus can bring healing in all of those areas. Jesus can bring healing in all those areas. So again, we, eight years ago, we had our first core team meeting. We talked about who we were going to be. A year later, seven years ago, we launched. And since then, we've had kind of four different official locations that we've met at. We've met at other, more than that, but four kind of official places that we met. We've had six different elders, pastors. We've had dozens and dozens of baptisms, dozens and dozens of baby, baby dedications, and tons of failures and tons of successes for Christ throughout those seven to eight years. You know what I love? Through all of that time, after through all of that change and so many different things happening, things that we could never have seen, that things that we could never have planned for, the core of who we are, church, hasn't really changed at all. The vision that God gave us eight years ago and that we launched seven years ago has still held firm today. So today, here's what I want to do. I just really want to go back and look at those things again. I'm going to talk about the same things I talked about in our very first sermons, very first sermons here at Freshwater. I'm going, to, I'm going to sum them up a little bit quicker, but the first series we ever did was called Advance. And it comes from advance the gospel. And we're just going to talk about that today. Man, what does it mean to advance? What does it mean to be who we are? Especially, I think we need it, especially in this time of the coronavirus, of COVID, right? As I said before, like things just don't feel like they used to feel, right? And so we need to remember who we are, who God has called us to be as a church, and let the fog of the last six months start to burn away through God's refining fire so we can just remember who we are in Jesus Christ. So that's what today's about. In particular, who God has called us as Freshwater Church to be. And so normally what I do, if you've been coming to Freshwater, I usually just preach on one text. I might reference a few other ones, but I, I love to be rooted in the Word. Do you know why I do that? One, because I always want to be focused on the Word of God, right? I want to dive deep. But another reason is I, we focus on one text at a time and really stay there because I want, I want to teach you as I'm preaching so that you can learn how to dig deep and get a lot out of one passage, right? So that we can learn to read the Word and hear hear from God in the word. And so we always, man, that's just the staple of our church. We always want 
to be focused deeply on what the Bible says. In the end, who cares what I say or any other pastor says? What we care about is what the Word of God says, and that's what this church is built on. And so we normally root that in one text so we can dive deep into that text. But today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to look at a lot of the different passages in the Bible that built the foundation for what this church became. Right? And so what we're going to be really looking, looking at is the passages that really help define what not just our church is supposed to be, but what the church is supposed to be and why we ended up being who we are. All right? So if you're one of those note takers that likes to write down all the passages that we're in, just be ready because it's, it's not going to be a ridiculous amount, but there's going to be a lot. So let's, again, let's just start with the foundation of who we are. So what's our mission statement? Yeah, and I, I didn't hear it, but I saw it. On, I'm a good lip reader, right? Freshwater exists to glorify God and advance the gospel. Right? I love that mission statement because it just, again, I don't think it sums up who just Freshwater is, but who the, the church is really supposed to be, right? I love it. I, we've not changed it in seven years. But um, there are a couple churchy words in that mission statement, right? Glorify. If somebody's new to church, you're like, what does glorify really mean? Um, even gospel, right? People who are new to this thing, and even some of you that have been around for a while, like, like we say the gospel, but it becomes, we say the gospel so much, it just becomes another word, gospel, gospel, gospel. What does that really mean? When we say the gospel at this church, what do we mean? So that's what I want to talk about. What does it mean to glorify God? What does it mean to advance the gospel? So let's start with God's glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says this, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for, what? My glory, whom I formed and made. We were created. We were formed primarily to give God glory. And that's the greatest news in the history of the universe. I, I, I may have mentioned this from the front a few weeks ago, but not very long ago, Jack and I, my son, had a conversation um, along ago, like, why, why does God create us for his glory? Right? Why, does God like need our worship? Does he need our glory? Why would he create us just to do that? Listen, he did that because he loves us so much. Right? God can do nothing better than to call us into his glory. Because, listen, we talk about this sometimes. God doesn't just love. God is love. God doesn't just show grace. He is grace. He's not, he doesn't just show us what holiness looks like. He is holiness. When we get drawn into God's glory, when we live for him, when we get drawn into his presence and who he is, we will experience who our God is. And that is ultimately perfect love, perfect peace, perfect goodness, perfect holiness. And so God's drawing us into him because he knows how good he is. And there's no pride in that. It's who God is. There's no evil. There's no darkness. There's no sin in him. So as he draws us in, he's doing the greatest thing he could possibly do. We mess it up all the time. God never messes it up. Praise God he didn't make it about our faith being good enough. He made it about how good he is because he wants to draw us into that love, that perfect love that he's had for eternity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It poured out of him, and he said, come into this union within myself. Come into this love. I want you to experience my glory. I want you to experience that love. Why? Because I love you. So we were created for this. Ephesians 1 says that he even gave us Christ, even sent Christ to display his glory so that we could give him glory and so that we could see his glory through the grace through Jesus Christ. So we give praise, we worship, we submit to, and we tell others about God. And those are the ways that we live for the glory of God. But what is the main way that we see, that we experience, that we understand, that we rightly live for God's glory. What, what's, what's the main way we do that? Hebrews 1 tells us. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Who's he talking about there? What's that talking about there? We talked about a victory mission this week, didn't we? Right? He's talking about the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, he, he talked to us through them, and then he talked to us through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Haggai, all those guys in, uh, in the Old Testament. He spoke to us through them, and so there was this distance between us and God, but how does he speak to us now? That's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but then he has the New Covenant in Christ. But in these, day, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And here it is. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making a purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hear me. 
Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. You want to know what the glory of God looks like? You want to know who God is? You want to know God's character? You want to know his love? You want to know God's plans? We look to Christ, who was literally the God-man, the actual Son of God, who is God himself, came down to give us a perfectly clear picture of what our Father, what our God is like. He is the light in the darkness. We just talked about that. Like, Cora, weren't you talking about the light and the dark? We're to be the light. How? By giving glory to God through loving Jesus Christ and living for him and being conformed to his image. That's the main way that we give God glory. We're going to look at it in just a second. The whole story of the Bible is about God's redemption through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ displaying the glory of the Father and God to the entire world. That is why, if you've ever wondered, everything in this church, every single week always comes back to Jesus. Because Scripture, Jesus is the fulcrum point of everything. Everything's pointing to him. Prophets, priests, kings, covenants, it's all pointing to Jesus. He's the fulfillment of the covenant. He's the fulfillment of the prophet, of the king, of the priest. He is the image of it all, reflecting who the Father is, reflecting who the Holy Spirit is in the, in the personification through a man, Jesus Christ. He is the perfect image of our Father and what we are to be in the Father. He is the radiance, the glowing light that shines the glory of God. That's why it always comes back to Jesus. So because of that, we don't only, only live for the glory of God and focus on that, on Jesus in our own lives, but we, we are commanded to tell other people about them so that they can experience the glory of God, so they can be drawn into that, so they can feel the light and the light and the radiance of Jesus to burn away the darkness inside of them. So that's the first part of our mission statement. Why do we exist? To glorify God. And as I've said so many times from the front here, that, is, that to, to live that way, to live for the glory of God that way is not attending church on Sunday morning. Right? It's in every aspect of our lives, looking at everything that we do, our work life, our friend life, our home life, everything. How can I live for God's glory? And not just because he commands us. God wants us to draw us in in every aspect of our life so that we might experience him in every aspect of our lives and be drawn into who he is. It's beautiful. So we live for the glory of God. The second part of our mission statement, we live to advance the gospel. As we are more and more drawn into the glory of God, and as he transforms us more and more to the image of his son, because that's what's going to happen. We get drawn into his glory, we experience him, we know him more, we're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We are compelled to share that with others. Man, if, especially if you've ever seen someone who's just in the throes of God growing them like crazy. You know what I'm talking about, right? They're just on fire. We call it on fire for the Lord. They can't help but tell other people about it. They're experiencing God's glory in a way that some of us have forgotten over time because we just get in the, the apathy of day-to-day -day life, right? Especially in this time of COVID where everybody's getting a little bit more apathetic. That, that, that threat of depression is trying to set in on almost everyone. I don't know if you've seen the depression rates for, during COVID. It's insane, right? All of this is trying to, to numb us out right? To, to, for, for us to forget who we are. But man, as God transforms, if you see someone transforming, they can't help but tell other people about Jesus. It's who we're commanded to be. And not because God likes to tell us what to do. He wants other people to experience the goodness of his presence. And so we are to advance the gospel. But what is the gospel? I'm not going to have anybody stand up and do it right now, right? But if I asked you, hey, just explain to me what the gospel is right now, how confident do you think you'd be that you could just lay it out? And hear me, I don't mean perfectly. I don't mean an awesome presentation that you'd feel confident the gospel is this. Bang, 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 bang. Because I've, here's the truth. For, for those of you that are new today, hey, listen, I'm not talking to you, right? You may or may not know you're here today. Praise God for that, right? I'm about, we're about to lay out what the gospel is. But for those of you that have been coming for a, to Freshwater for a long time, hear me, you know what the gospel is. I've heard people that have been coming here for four years, even in leadership, and, and when nobody was listening, they thought nobody was listening, say, yeah, I'm not sure I know what the gospel is. Yes, they do. But we let fear get involved. What if I don't say the right thing? What if I don't know the right thing? Because, hey, listen, it's not that complicated. It's just not. But at times... Nailing down exactly what the gospel is can be confusing, and here's why. There's really kind of two ways to look at the gospel, and I think they're both the gospel, right? There's the gospel, what I'll call the gospel up here, like the 10,000-foot view of the gospel, right, which is the gospel, and then there's the gospel down here, like the on-the-ground level, very simple, very specific, very practical version of the gospel, and both of them are true, 
But depending on how you're looking at it, how you're trying to communicate it, when you hear both sides, it can be confusing. So we're just going to, well, I'm just going to lay out what both of them are right now. And pay attention to this, because if you've ever wondered, what is the gospel? You don't need to present the gospel like I am today. When I share the gospel with other people, I don't give them a presentation, right? I talk about who God is and what he's done in my life and what he could do for them, and I weave all these things through it, right? But here's just the basics of, let's look at the gospel up here, the 10,000-foot view. And I can sum it up in four words. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You know what those four words mean. You can share the gospel, the story of the gospel with anyone. What I'm about to share, I actually sat down with a guy at McAllister's one time. And I shared this with him. And by the time I got to restoration, he's crying. And he says, why have I never heard this before? And he gave his life to Jesus right there. He'd never heard this before. This is the gospel up here. This is the story of the Bible that has its fulcrum point on Christ. And here's what it is. Creation. In the beginning, God created everything, including us, and it was very good. Right? Not only was it very good, but it was perfect. When God created us the way that we were intended, we had a perfect relationship with him. Like we were in his presence. Adam and Eve were in the presence of God, truly experiencing his glory always. It was perfection. And that's how God created everything and intended everything to be. But then the fall came. Adam and Eve, literally, it kind of says in there, wanted to be their own God. They wanted to know the things that God knows. And so they did the one thing that God commanded them not to do. One rule, don't eat from this tree. And what they do, they ate from that tree and they broke everything. They brought sin into the world and it fractured the world. They brought, most importantly, they brought sin into their hearts and it fractured their relationship with God because God is holy and they were holy but now they brought sin and evil into their hearts and it broke their relationship with God. And from that point on, there was separation, there was distance, there was a gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness, the fall. And that's why everything's broken now. You just look around the world, you know how broken the world is. It's because of sin, it's because of evil. It breaks everything. But hear me, redemption. Right then in that moment, right after Adam and Eve sinned, God came to them and began promising him that one day he would undo this curse. That, that one day he would do the work to redeem them so they could be brought back into his holy presence. And listen, that is the rest of the story of the Bible. From Adam and Eve, from the fall on, God laying out his plan for redemption. It's this epic story of God's rescue mission to rescue us from our sin, rescue us from death. It's the rest of the story. And that story comes to fruition. Redemption comes to fruition in what? Jesus Christ. All the prophets, all the kings, all the priests, all of it pointing to Jesus Christ, who is our actual redemption in himself. On the cross, Jesus purchased our redemption. It is all about Jesus, who is our redeemer and the fulfillment of God's plan. Redemption and then restoration. But it's not just that Jesus Christ redeemed us when he saved us. It's that he's going to return one day to restore all things. And when he comes back, he is going to fully do away with all sin, all pain, all death, all the stuff that got broken during the fall. He's going to come and undo all of it and restore us back to a perfect relationship with God forever. And we will spend eternity with him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is the gospel up here. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You can communicate that, church. And you listen to me right now. Do not use me as the example of what that's supposed to sound like. That is unfair to you. I've done this for 10 years now. But just talking through, thinking through, how would I communicate creation, fall, redemption, restoration to someone? You know the story. If you're new today, if you're new to this Christian thing today, don't feel pressure to be able to recite that whole thing. I'm talking to people who have been around, who have heard the gospel again and again. If you're brand new, hey, listen, I'm so thankful that you're here because that's the beautiful story of the gospel, that it's not about you and your fa failures. It's about God, his glory, and his plan to redeem you because he loves you so much. So much that he'd give his own son so that you could be redeemed and restored in the end. That's the overarching story of the Bible. But the truth is that the gospel isn't really a story. Right? The, the gospel is a person. The gospel means the good news. And the good news is not the story of Jesus Christ. The good news is Jesus Christ himself. Right? So I want to give you the, the very simple down here version of the gospel. Again, both the gospel, but this is the on the ground version, the very practical. It's this, that Jesus was and is the actual son of God and his son and is God himself. And he was born as a man. 
Why was he born as a man? So that he might live the perfectly sinless, the perfectly obedient life that we should have lived. The life that, hey, if we're honest, we have utterly failed to live because we have sinned against God again and again. But Jesus did not. And not only did he come so that, so, so that he could show us what a perfect life lives like, he came to preach the kingdom of God, to tell us about who his father is, to show us who God is, to show us his true heart, his true character, the true love of God. God came to us because he wants us to know him. Don't ever listen to someone that says, hey, you can't really know God. Yes, you can. He came so that you would know. He came and he preached the kingdom of God. And he was the only one in history, the only one who didn't deserve the wrath and punishment of God for sin, yet because he loves us so much, because Jesus loves us so much, he willingly went to the cross so that he might bear the penalty of our sin, the wrath that God has for sin. He might take our punishment and take it on himself, on our behalf. For Jesus knew that for God to be just, for God to execute justice, he had to punish sin. Right? God laid out that sin is evil and he'll punish it. He, if he's going to be a good and right judge, he has to punish it or he's not good. And Jesus knew this, so he hung on that cross. And as he hung there, he took all of our sin, all of God's wrath, all of God's punishment, all of it fell on him so that the penalty could be paid. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is just and the justifier. He made God just, but through his own body and blood, he justified us, made us right before God. So in doing so, he purchased forgiveness for any and all who would just simply repent of their sin and believe in faith that Jesus Christ is their Savior. That's what he accomplished on the cross, but it wasn't just the cross. Jesus was also raised three days later to show that the, the power and the penalty of sin and death had no power over him. He raised and he conquered those things so that by believing in him through faith, we might also be raised. As the Bible says, that we might be resurrected with him as something new. Listen, no longer enslaved to your sin, no longer held under the penalty of sin, no longer that guilty sinner, but a, a person fully washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and covered by his righteousness. We call that the great exchange. You gave him your sin and he gave you his righteousness so that you might be made clean. So now in Christ, God doesn't see you as that guilty sinner. Whether you feel like a broke down sinner or not, God doesn't see you as a guilty sinner, but a holy, blameless, hear me, cherished child of God, a saint. I know we use the phrase, I'm just a sinner. We need to get rid of that. Do you know who you are if you're in Christ? You are a saint. God doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as a saint wrapped in the holiness of his own beloved son. And then finally, Jesus didn't just raise from the dead, but he ascended into heaven and is now sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for his saints as the King of kings and Lord of lords, awaiting the day that he is going to return and undo all of this brokenness once and for our forever when he brings us our our final salvation as he makes, things all, makes all things new and brings us into perfect relationship with him forever in eternity in heaven. That's the gospel down here. You want the short version of that? Like that was a long explanation, right, of what the gospel is because I wanted to give every piece of it. Here's, here's just a simple, this is really what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And because he was perfect, he could die on the cross to take all of our sins if we would just repent and believe. And then he was raised three laters, later, conquering the power of sin and death so that we might be raised, so that we might be resurrected with him as something new, the holy and blameless children of God, given salvation through faith so that we might have eternal life with our God and King, the gospel down here. That's just the simple, right-to-it version. Church, that's what we advance. This is why we exist other than giving God glory. It's why we ultimately want to tell everyone and tell everywhere about what Jesus Christ has done. This is what Freshwater does. This is what we talk about every week. You've heard me say this if you've been here for any amount of time. We never move on from the gospel. Sometimes it feels like we need to, right? But 
the reason we don't move on from the gospel is because the gospel isn't just about one-time salvation. It's about God saving us once. And yes, that's done. And we are positionally holy and blameless before God. You've got to wrap your mind around that. God doesn't see you as the broke-down sinner. Holy, blameless, cherished child of God. It is done. But God still continues his work in you, sanctifying you, growing you, molding you, shaping you into the image of his son so that you might experience his glory, so that you might know the goodness of God, and so that you might tell other people about it until the day that you die when you are fully glorified forever. We never move on from the gospel because God is always conforming us into the image of his son. Always. Why? Because he loves us. What better thing could he do than draw us into him through Christ so that we might know the beauty of our Lord, of our Savior, of our God? Drawing us into his epic story of redemption through the actual gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this church is about. If you're new today, well, you now know. That is who we are. Now, how does that actually play out at Freshwater? Because we do exist to glorify God and advance the gospel. We've talked about it, little details here and there, but how does that play out? You may not have heard me say this for a while, but we have three main core values. And I don't, I don't usually point them all out specifically because it's just who we are. But I thought I'd bring them up today because it's been a long time. There's three core values that we live by that we filter everything through. Even when someone comes to me with a new ministry or something new they want to do, does it, does, it, does it display this ministry that we live for God's glory and to advance the gospel? And does it, does it live within these three core values? Here's what they are. Community, equipping, and sending. Community, equipping, and sending. So let's look at the first one. Authentic community. I say authentic community not just community. It, it really is community, but it's got to be authentic. We'll talk about why here in a second. We see a beautiful picture of this in Acts 2, where the church had just started, right? 3,000 people had just been saved. The church got launched, and this is what the, look, the church looked like in Acts 2. And they, the new church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed... To, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And listen to this, because of their community, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is at the very heart of not just this church, but really the church. And it's had an enormous impact on who Freshwater has become. I mean, this is a foundational verse. Teaching the word, spending time together, praying together, sharing each other's needs and burdens, and taking care of each other, and being such a loving family, such a loving community that the world can't help but take notice, and some hearing this, seeing this, being saved and drawn into Jesus because of the love within the community. That's what the church is supposed to be. And the problem with the church not looking like that sometimes is it's full of sinful people, right, that break this. But from the beginning, we've tried to come back to this again and again because this is hard to actually live out with sinful hearts. But Jesus is redeeming us. We can be this kind of community. Another verse that's had a huge impact on who our community was meant to become is 1 Thessalonians 2.8. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 said this, So being affectionately desirous of you, it's one of my favorite lines in Scripture. Do we really see our relationships with other people as that? Affection so deep from them that it, the, our desire to see you, to see that, that how much we love you and how much we want you is just so obvious that it's, a, it's just affectionately desirous. I love it. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, because sharing the gospel is important, the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Man, that's so good, and that's so hard to live that out in a meaningful way. That's what we want the community to look like at Freshwater. Honestly, that's even how we want to reach people outside of Freshwater, right? When we talk with them, like believer, unbeliever, like we talk with them, that they see that they're dear to us, that we love them. Despite, whether, they're gonna, that whether they believe in Jesus tomorrow or not, we love them. We desire for them to know. We desire for them to see that they're loved. This is the kind of community we want to have inside the church, and even when we go out into the community outside of this church, that our deepest desire is for them to know, to love, to grow in Christ, and we're going to love them no matter what, as Christ has loved us. 
And then we don't just say community, we say authentic community. Because hear me, do you think you can have that kind of community if you're hiding what's going on in your life? If you're pretending like everything's going on, if you pretend like your marriage is awesome when it's falling apart, when you pretend like your faith is strong when you're having crazy doubts, when you're pretending like your faith is strong when you're walking in sin that you can't get away from, do you think we can have this kind of community in Acts 2 and 1 Thessalonians 2.8? No, we can't. If we hide our sin, if we act like everything is great, we're not going to experience this. But by living life together, right, taking care of each other, pursuing each other, loving each other in the way that Christ loves us, we can be a church, a community that reflects the glory of God. This kind of community reflects God's glory. It points to Jesus Christ, and it literally is saying in Acts 2 that it advances the gospel. People couldn't help but take notice of the way that they were loving each other and they were curious and they would come and they would hear the gospel and they would be saved. And yes, some were rejecting it. So a lot of these Christians ended up being killed for their faith. But even as, they, as later on, uh, in years from now, when Christians were being slaughtered, slaughtered, do you know what happened? The church grew. The church grew. Because even though they were being slaughtered, they still saw this kind of love and they couldn't help but be drawn, and they would share the gospel, and God would save, because the gospel can't be stopped. So the first tenet that we build our church on that really helps us display, helps us to live out, glorify God, and advance the gospel is authentic community. The second one is equipping, or I would say equipping the saints. That comes from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip who? The saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Another absolute pivotal passage, a foundational passage for us. So hear me. The role of your leaders in, in the church is not to do all the work of the ministry. And I don't know how that happened over the last decades. That's what it became. One person, a few paid people, a huge paid staff, right? And they all did the work of the ministry so everybody else could attend and have a really good feel-good experience and be rah, rah, yay, Jesus, yay, our church. That's not what the church is supposed to be, right? The lead, your pastors, your elders, your deacons, your leaders, they are given gifts. Why? To equip you to do the work of the ministry so that we can all do it together, because we can be far more together than we could ever be with a few people at the top trying to do all the work, the work of the ministry. We are meant to do this thing together. Why? So that we might grow in spiritual maturity, so that we might grow in love, so that we all might use all the different and unique gifts that God has given us, the gifts that we see in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12 and other places. God has given us all gifts if we are believers so that we might use all of our gifts to build each other up in the love of Jesus Christ, to protect us from false teaching, to grow us into spiritual maturity. Why? So that we might radiate, as Jesus does, radiate the glory of God and be able to leave these walls and go tell people about the gospel. Listen, church, you're going to hear this in a second, right? It's so important that we leave these walls because church is not about a building. It's about a people, and it's a people being sent out into the world. We're going to get to that in a second. But listen, if we don't have a healthy community and we aren't equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, when we go out of these walls, we're going to be far less effective. We're going to be church people trying to do good things instead of people filled with the glory of the Holy Spirit out there, the people experiencing who God is because he's growing so much in us. Authentic community and equipping the saints is how this is really done. This, the mission is so important. I say the mission outside of the church walls is so important. You know who we are. If you don't, I'm about to tell you, right? But this is more important. The church is not meant, you know, the, the, the church itself is not meant to be an evangelistic tool. It can be. Bring people here. They can hear the gospel. This is meant to build up the saints, all of us, in unity, in harmony, healthy and strong, loving Jesus more and more, being equipped so that we might run out of these walls telling people about Jesus and the Holy Spirit just using us in power. That happens through community. That happens through equipping. Acts 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. Ephesians 4. 
It's also why I said earlier, church, that we can't abandon gathering. If you're hearing that out there, if you're hearing that in here, we have to be together. God designed for this thing for us to do together, right? Again, if you ever hear anybody say, hey, you know, I love God and me and Jesus are good, but I just don't, I just don't like church. I just don't want to go to church. I get that people get hurt by church, and if you've been hurt by the church, listen, you're not alone. We've got a ton of people that have been hurt and come in here and found healing, including two of our pastors, right, and their families. But the church is the bride of Christ. And as you've heard me say before, you don't get to have a close relationship with me and say, JT, I just really love you and I care about you, but I can't stand your bride. That, that's something that we've got to work through. Our relationship's never going to be close, right? Our relationship will never be close. In the same way, you're talking about the bride of Christ, and God has designed the bride of Christ not to be just something that we're supposed to do, something we're supposed to attend, but a community of people equipping each other, lifting each other up so that we can be more. Listen, find your way back to this building. Not because the building is the answer. The people found here are the answer in Christ. We've got to gather, and we can't let a, a virus get in the way of that. A, yes, we'll be careful. Yes, we'll spread out. Yes, we'll wear masks if the city's commanding us to do it, or maybe otherwise, right? But we still have to gather, even though it feels a little different, even though it feels a little more distant. We've got to be together because we need each other because that's how God built this thing to work. It's also why life groups and discipleship are so, so important at this church. Yes, life groups and discipleship relationships, they help you build community, right? A, a big part of those things are community. But also, other than Sunday mornings, that's the real place where you find out how to be equipped for the work of the ministry. That's how you get to talk through issues and talk through um, how, how I grow and what do I do in this situation and, and how do I get forgiveness and how do I forgive this person. All the things that God's asking us to do, we find that in the community of life groups and discipleship primarily. We need those things. So the first one, authentic community. The second one, equipping the saints. And the last one is sending. In Acts 1.8, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they lived, in all of Judea, which was the region, in Samaria, which was another part of the region that was separate from them, and to where? to the ends of the earth. As we heard Tony preach last week, it meant first time Tony ever preached. Didn't he do a great job? Oh, he's getting a little... Yay, Tony! You know what he did such a great job is because he was so faithful to the world, word. It made me want to go disciple people. It made me want to love Jesus more. What better compliment is there than that? Than Tony just being an awesome speaker. That's... Man... He pointed people to Jesus. And last week, one of the ways he pointed people to Jesus was by quoting Matthew 28, where Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of what? Somebody shout it out louder. All nations. Yeah, listen, yes, we need to make disciples right here in the church and grow each other. Yes, you primarily need to try to make disciples in your friend groups and at your jobs and with your family. And yes, we want to make disciples right in Tom Watkins' neighborhood and our city. And all of those things should be primary. But Acts 1 and Matthew 28 is telling us that we also need to go to our region and we need to go to the nations. Right? It's not one or the other. It's yes and amen to all of those things. It's why when we started this church, we had a vision to reach the neighborhood, Tom Watkins' neighborhood, where God had called us. You know, the Bible talks about the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, the fatherless over 2,000 times. 2,000 times God is laying out how much he loves the needy, the poor, those in need. It's all over God desperately loves those in need. And we, church, are called, we are called to be a city on a hill, a bright, shining light on a hill that everyone can see so we can call people out of the darkness into Jesus Christ's radiant, glorious light. It's who we're meant to be. And part of making disciples, part of advancing the gospel is showing people the love of God spiritually and emotionally and physically. As Scripture says, I mean, you can have all the gifts and you can speak amazing, and you can have a perfect gospel presentation, but if you don't have love, then it's worthless. And God loves the needy, and he loves the poor, and he loves the fatherless, and he loves those that are hurting, and he loves the single mom. God is for them, and we must be. We must never stop. It's why we've given so much time and effort to loving, investing, and supporting Williams Elementary, which is one of the, it's got one of the highest free and reduced lunch rates in the city, 
There's a bunch of kids in there. That Man, there's so much light in Tom Walker's neighborhood. There's so much light in Williams Elementary. There's so much good, but there's so much need and darkness too. And God has called us to engage. And Williams Elementary is the heartbeat of Tom Walker's neighborhood. It's why we, for years, were involved in international missions in Mexico, in the mountains of Mexico, and in Haiti, and, that, and why we will be sending international teams overseas once again when God solidifies what that next partnership will look like. It's why we support, right now, we support missionaries to unreached people, people groups in Africa and Asia. It's why we just recently sent out multiple couples, awesome couples that I wanted to stay here, but we knew we needed to send them, that we just sent out just to go and do the work that God's called them to. One, to go reach, potentially reach Native Americans. Another one, to go reach immigrants. And the, the couple that just left to go reach immigrants in our state, in our region, not our city, but in our region, we're going to give you an opportunity of how you can partner with them in a couple Saturdays from now, right? How you can leave, drive an hour and a half away, and go serve the, one, the people that God is calling us to serve here, there, and everywhere. It's why we support our people when they leave. We don't just say, okay, see ya. We, we continue to support them and love them and pray for them and have teams and life groups focus on them because we want them to have prayer support. It's why we planted a church in Pleasant Hope and one of our pastors left to go do that. It's why we're saving up right now to build a community center in Tom Wonka's neighborhood and not a pretty new church building because we feel like that neighborhood desperately needs a community center more than it needs a new church building. If, we, if it's just about the building, we can stay here. But we want to be in the neighborhood. Technically, we're only about a fourth of a mile out of the neighborhood, and it's way too far. Fourth of a mile, too far. We've got to get back in the neighborhood, but there's nowhere for us to go and be in the neighborhood, so we're going to build. We'll build a community center. I don't know when. We're trying to purchase land right now to do that. I don't know when that's going to happen, but that's our vision, so that the, so that the community can use that building every day of the week, and that we can come into that building and show them love by having them be able to come, but we can also build relationships with them where it becomes very obvious that they are very dear to us, that we affectionately desire to know them and to love them, and that's not easy, but that's where we're going, church. Because we want to live out this mission that God has sent, has sent us on. We are a saved people in Christ to be a sent people for Christ. Church, we are saved people in Christ to be a sent people for Christ. We can't get comfortable. We can't get apathetic. We can't just attend once a week. It's just God has called us to so much more. We, we are to live our lives for and through the glory of God and then tell everyone we, we come across about the personification of that glory, the personification of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that's laying out a gospel presentation. And sometimes that's feeding them so we can show them how much we love them in the hopes that we can build a relationship and share Jesus with them. We, here, listen, we always have an ulterior motive, and that's Okay. We're not here for social justice, church. We're not here to do good things. We want to do good things, right? And if, if, we, if we feed people, if we love people, if we take care of people, if we do whatever, and they never know Jesus, we'll still love them. We'll still pursue them. We still want to have a relationship with them. It's not Jesus or else. But listen, we are kingdom people. We live for the glory of God first. So Jesus always has got to be an ulterior motive because nothing else, in, nothing else will matter when eternity comes. It is heaven or it is hell. And we got to feel the weight of that church. It is real and it is coming. And so we always have an interior motive. And that's okay. Not only is that okay, that is kingdom focus. That is Jesus focus. So during this time as things have gotten harder, harder to gather, harder to stay connecting, nothing has felt the same. It's been, I mean, listen, when it's been easy to kind of give in this, the distance and the isolation, even if you're at work, even if you're getting out of your house, there's just still this thing this isolation that's creeping up on us. Like I said before, this depression or this apathy that's creeping up on all of us, it's trying to overtake our hearts and our souls. It's just been so easy to disengage a little at a time, a little bit more disengagement, a little bit more disengagement. Listen, I get it. I have felt it. I confessed some of those things in my life group this week. It's tried to pull me down too. But listen, going through who we are, who we've been, what God has done, how faithful God has been, and who we're supposed to be as a church has encouraged me so much this week, church, to stay on mission, to keep moving forward, because God has blessed this church. He has given favor to this church. He's done incredible things through this church. Again and again, when we didn't know where to go and didn't know what to do, God just answered prayer and moved things out of the way and pointed us forward. And even in our failures, God has taken our failures in the end to give him more glory than if we would have had success in the first place because we learned so much. 
God is refining us, growing us, changing us, moving us. And so we have to remember who we are. We are an authentic community of saints, growing in their love for Christ, being equipped to do the work of Christ so that we might be sent out to tell others about Christ. Hold on desperately to it, church. Church, take heart that over the last seven years, God has grown us and protected us and blessed us and helped us to hold on to the vision that he gave us from the beginning because it hasn't changed. At times, we've had to remember and hold on to it and grasp holding tightly to it because there's so much going on all the time. But God has been so faithful to us. And hear me, this time of coronavirus, it's eventually going to end. But God's love for his church and God's love for this church is not going to end. And so hold on tightly to this community. Not because freshwater is the answer, but Jesus Christ's bride is the answer. And this is the family that God has given you. So hold on tight to it. Fight for unity. Reach out to those who aren't here. Reach out to those you haven't seen, you haven't seen in a while. Call to them. Tell them that you miss them. Call, tell them to come back to the community because we got to hold on tightly to this thing because the church is God's answer for humanity. Does that sound weird? Jesus ultimately is the answer, but Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit and his church to be the way that we reach, that we grow, that we are equipped, that we are sent. So we got to hold on to it with everything, church. Fight for this thing so that in seven years from now, we can celebrate all that God has done for, for us from seven years on when we're 14 years out. I can't wait to celebrate that time. 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. As I said, I want to be here until I die. Please, God, don't call me anywhere else because I want to be right here until I die. We'll see what God has for us. So church, you live for the glory of God. You live to advance the gospel. And not only will freshwater stay strong through whatever the world might throw at us, but God will, because he has, God will use us to accomplish more than we could even plan for or we could even fathom because he's already done it and our God is faithful. We live to glorify God and advance the gospel, church. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for you. God, for your faithful to, faithfulness to us. God, I'm so thankful that you didn't make this faith about us and us being good enough, but about who you are, your glory, and how good you are. And so, God, I pray for those in the room, for those on vacation, for those watching online, that you would burn away this apathy, that you would burn away this this feeling of isolation and depression that has come during this time, that you, would, that you would burn away our fear and our doubt and our struggle, and that we would remember that you are faithful, that you're calling us out of those things, not just because you don't want us to walk in them, but because you love them and you want us to have your peace. Help us to focus on what is good, not to get caught up in all the negative and the hardships and all the, the difficult things, but on all of the good things, the things worthy of praise, the wor things worthy of, of thinking about, of praising you for all the goodness. All, God, help us to just be a thankful people. And then, God, I pray that you would help us as a church body to be convicted to come back to this place. God, you know that I'm not all about being here on Sunday morning. That's just not who I am. But, God, we need this community. Draw your people back in. Not just in this church, but every church. All the churches through our city. Draw your people back in so that we might be a community. A community that is equipped. A community that is sent to display your glory. To advance your gospel. Be with your saints, Lord for we need you. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw them into the beauty of who you are, that you would save them, that you would redeem them, and that you would use them to tell this beautiful epic story of your redemption. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, God. In the name we pray. Amen.